This podcast is an unedited excerpt from an MCLE program presented at MCLE's Conference Center in Boston, Massachusetts. Please note that MCLE's products, services, and communications are offered solely as an aid to developing and maintaining professional competence. The statements in this recording may not apply to your circumstances, and no legal, tax, accounting, or other professional advice is being rendered by MCLE or its speakers. For full terms and conditions, please see the MCLE website. New Hampshire, a lot of the trust laws are by statute. And New Hampshire has, over the years, um, really tried to attract um, trust to New Hampshire and attract trust business to New Hampshire. And you'll see why, um, as I talk about the differences, um, why they've tried to do that and some of the benefits for a corporate trustee or a trust company in New Hampshire. All right. Great. So um, New Hampshire divides directed trusts really into two categories, and they call them divided trust and directed trust. A divided trust is defined as a trust where the trust divides the powers and duties among two or more trustees, trust advisors, and trust protectors, and invests power um, in one to the exclusion of the others. A directed trust is defined as a trust which, under its terms, gives powers to one or more person to direct an action by the trustee trust advisor or trust protector, or the power to veto or consent to any actual or proposed action. Okay, so unlike Massachusetts, um, New Hampshire law does allow for excluded um, fiduciaries. So um, when we're talking about divided trust, a trustee is an excluded fiduciary to the extent that the terms of the trust vest a power or duty exclusively in a trust advisor, trust protector, co-trustee, or other person. And when I say excluded benefic- uh, fiduciary, I mean one who is not subject to fiduciary du- duties concerning actions and decisions over which he or she has no power. So you can see right away that's a pretty big difference from mass law. For directed trusts, a trustee is an excluded fiduciary to the extent that under the terms of the trust, the trustee must follow the direction of a trust advisor, trust protector, co-trustee, or other person. And the trustee, in fact, acts in accordance with that direction. Very similar when we're dealing with trust advisors and trust protectors. So this is just um, uh, further sections below on um, New Hampshire uh, Revised Statute Annotated 564B7-711. So for E, for a divided trust, it's just the same. A trust advisor or trust protector is excluded fiduciary to the extent that the terms of the trust vest a power or duty exclusively in a trustee or other trust advisor or trust protector or other person. And for a directed trust, a trust advisor or trust protector is an excluded fiduciary to the extent that under the terms of the trust, the trust advisor or trust protector must follow the direction of the trustee, other trust advisor or trust protector, and they do go forward and act in um, accordance of that direction. So as you can see, uh, this is going to be very attractive for New Hampshire trust companies. Perhaps there's a New Hampshire trust company that only is the trustee for purposes of the investments. They know that they can concentrate on the investments, and as long as they do a good job with that, they don't have to worry about any of the distributions to any of the beneficiaries if that's not their job. They're excluded as a fiduciary. So this is a very attractive for uh, banks and, and professional trustees. So what happens if there's a vacancy? Um, There is no co-trustee, there is no director. 
So um, for divided trusts, um, unless the terms of the trust provide otherwise, a trustee shall be vested with any power or duty that the terms of the trust otherwise vest exclusively in another person. So they can step in um, anytime when as a result of the vacancy of another office, trust protector, trust advisor, co-trustee, if there is no person who is vested with that power or duty, uh, a trustee can step in unless the terms of the trust say otherwise and, and utilize that power. Um, for a directed trust, it's the same thing. If there's no one directing um, that person, then they can step in and act. But we should consider the exclusions from fiduciary duties in the previous slides here. So um, take that New Hampshire trust company, maybe they are investment trustee, um, maybe the person, there's a vacancy in the distribution person. Um, what happens with their exclusions from their fiduciary duties? Um, are they no longer excluded from the duties of distribution? Um, should, they, should they act? Shouldn't they act? And so the next slide kind of tells us a little bit about that. So this is um, New Hampshire Law uh, 564B7-72, um, and it's an extension section C and D. So for a directed trust, a trustee who is vested with a power or duty um, to act because of the vacancy shall not be liable to any person for failing to exercise that power or duty during the 60-day period beginning on the date in which the trustee obtains knowledge of the vacancy. For a directed trust, same thing. A trustee who may exercise a power under subsection B when there's a vacancy shall not be liable to any person for failing to exercise that power during that 60-day period. Um, and this is good for a number of reasons, um, at least for New Hampshire trustees. First off, um, it makes sense that um, perhaps uh, during that 60-day period, they, can't, they don't act because they can't act. Perhaps um, there is an investment trustee who has all the access to the investment accounts, and it's going to take some time for the trustee to act some time for them to um, register their certification of trust, as they call it in New Hampshire, or trustee certificate, as they call it in Mass, with that particular um, company, with that particular bank or whatever. And that's going to take some time. So if they don't act, they're not liable to, you know, for that first 60-day period. Um, another thing is that 60-day period may allow enough time for the vacancy to be filled, whether by the terms of the trust or some other um, perhaps non-judicial settlement agreement or some other arrangement, perhaps through court action, although 60 days would not be enough, I don't think, for court action. So the question, though, as an attorney for your advising your trustees are, um, what about the prudent administration rules and what about the duty to administer, invest, and manage a trust that in New Hampshire are found under 564B8804 and 564B8801? Um, you're going to want to look at that and you're going to run to review it in a case by case situation. Um, you know, if you can continue to keep that person as an excluded um, fiduciary because you can get that role filled quickly, that might be the best action. But I still think that you can't let um, uh, everything go to pieces. You still have some duties there in spite of the fact that you're excluded fiduciary. And we'll talk about um, a case coming up where. Um, the, the court said, don't forget about your duties. Okay, next. Okay, so um, next we're gonna talk about picking the right law um, for your trust. Where would you like your directed trust to be? 
you should consider New Hampshire. So we talked about um, directed trust as being one of the advantages to both Massachusetts and New Hampshire law, but there's more, I think, advantages if you're a trustee to the, um, with the excluded fiduciary rules under New Hampshire law. We talked about trust protectors and trust advisors. They can be used in both states. And we talked about the reasons, Karen's talked about the reasons for why you would wanna choose one. Um, so those are used in both states as we've stated. Um, next, we're going to talk about tax advantages, then dynasty trusts, virtual representation, non-judicial settlement agreements, asset protection trusts, decanting, flexibility and in investment decisions, trustees' powers of modification, and confidential communications. And when we go over this, you might decide that, oh, that's something that, you know, that really you know, sparks my interest and maybe a reason in and of itself to switch to New Hampshire, or maybe the difference isn't enough to bother. In some cases, the advantage might be in, New in Massachusetts. Okay, state tax advantages. New Hampshire trusts are not subject to state income tax at the trust level on capital gains or accumulated income. So there's a huge advantage right there, not paying mass taxes. A uh, beneficiary who receives a distribution from a New Hampshire trust may still owe income tax to the state in which he or she resides. So if we're issuing K-1s and we are um, distributing all income out to beneficiaries and that beneficiary doesn't live in New Hampshire, then they may have to pay state tax. And of course, New Hampshire trusts are still subject to the federal tax. So when thinking about switching, is there going to be a big savings because we're an accumulation trust or are we simply um, distributing all the income out and it really doesn't matter. So and to that point, if you have Massachusetts beneficiaries that are receiving these distributions, it's not gonna matter. You're still gonna have to pay the Massachusetts tax. Yes. Okay. Dynasty trusts. Um, New Hampshire by statute has abolished the rules against perpetuities. Um, just as a review, generally the rule against perpetuities is that the trust can't survive past uh, a specific life in being plus 21 years. So New Hampshire has abolished that by statute. Um, unless it's subject to the rule against perpetuities because it's made, it says it in the trust, or it's a trust for the care of animals, a uh, trust may be perpetual or may exist for any short period of time. Um, Basically, uh, what you're going to want to have in your trust is you're going to want to reference, you know, that this trust is not subject to the rule against perpetuities, reference the New Hampshire statute, um, so expressly exempt the trust from the application of the rule. And then under the terms of the trust or applicable statute or common law, the trustee or other person um, who has any power will have the power to sell, mortgage, or lease trust property for any period of time beyond the period um, that would fall within the statute of limits of um, that would fall within uh, the rule against perpetuities. Um, it should be extended beyond that. So let me just read that because I think I just jumbled that for you. So under the terms of the trust and applicable statute or common law, the trustee or other person to whom the property is granted or delegated has the power to sell, mortgage, or lease property for any period of time beyond that period, if this section did not apply to the trust, would require be required for an interest in the trust to vest in order to be valid under the rule against perpetuities. So they they said that in a very said that in a very complicated way, but um, you're just going to want to make sure that that person has powers that can go on what the statute what the uh, rule against perpetuities time period would be. Um, 
In the, the section so, C, the rule against accumulation shall not apply to any trust to which the rule against perpetuities does not apply. And then section D is um, specific dates that you're going to want to look at to see um, whether or not this dynasty trust provision was retroactive or not. So before you go on, just to, to clarify, so you can draft a dynasty trust that goes on forever under the you know, under New Hampshire law. You need to reference that statutory reference in order to get the perpetual time period. Um, and even if you don't, you still have uh, time uh, after the administration of the trust to wind up the affairs and get the distributions made. Thank you. Okay, virtual representation. Um, virtual representation, representation is basically where um, a member of a class is deemed to be represented by one or more members of the same class is not, as long as there is not a conflict of interest. And both Massachusetts and New Hampshire allow for virtual representation. I think we see it most often um, when we're talking about representation by fiduciaries and parents. So if there is a child who's a beneficiary of a trust, um, a parent can step in and um, represent their interests so long as there's not a conflict of interest. Um, we also may see it from time to time when um, perhaps we ask for a sense from everyone for something that we're, we're bringing to court and we're missing one, but we've given notice and maybe we can say that that person has the exact same interests, um, identical interests to everyone else, and it's not a conflict, and so therefore their interests are represented. So we'll see it most in those two cases. Non-judicial settlement agreements. Both Massachusetts and New Hampshire allow for non-judicial settlement agreements. Uh, New Hampshire, however, has statutory language that specifically allows for the termination or modification of a trust. Um, this power is used in Massachusetts. It's just assumed under the statute. Uh, it's not specifically stated, but we can still do that in Mass and New Hampshire. New Hampshire also allows, if the terms of the trust require, for interested persons to resolve a trust dispute exclusively by reasonable non-judicial um, procedures. So in that way, it's cutting the court out to a certain extent, which um, is not allowed in Massachusetts, as we heard earlier from Karen. Yeah, this is um, a big deviation between Massachusetts and New Hampshire. Yeah, big one. So um, I also wanted to just mention um, another non-judicial um, action that's allowed in both Massachusetts and New Hampshire is terminating a trust for um, being an uneconomic trust. And um, both states allow you to do that with notice to the beneficiaries. The trustee can do it without the court being involved. And for Massachusetts, the threshold is $200,000. So if there's less than $200,000 in the trust, uh, for New Hampshire, it's half that. It's $100,000. So that's definitely um, an advantage to Massachusetts. And I think it also speaks to some of the cost differences and cost of living uh, between the two states. So for Massachusetts, um, if you're interested, that uneconomic trust is found at um, Mass General Law 203E, uh, Article 4, Section 414. And because they're, they're both um, modeled sort of at the same, over the same law, it's the same um, in New Hampshire, which is New Hampshire 564B, and then also 4-414. Asset protection. So New Hampshire has pretty good asset protection laws. Um, 
So they have an extensive section of the trust code that deals with asset protections. Uh, but there's always going to be limits to what can be protected um, based on the type of trust and type of claim. Um, as a general rule, you can't protect money um, when it comes to child support. In New Hampshire, a creditor's claim is barred four years after the property is transferred to the trust or one year after the transfer was discovered or could reasonably be discovered by the creditor. And so New Hampshire allows for self-settled asset protection trusts, which enable the settler with the ability to shield assets from creditors, but also benefit personally from those assets held in the trust. Um, to be effective, the trust must be irrevocable, must have a spendthrift provision, must have a minimum of one New Hampshire trustee in state that New Hampshire law governs. And we'll talk about at the end here, how you can migrate um, a trust from another state to New Hampshire. I think what's important to remember here and to not get confused is uh, a Medicaid trust. A Medicaid trust is always going to have that five-year look-back period. So if you're transferring stuff to an irrevocable uh, Medicaid trust for purposes of qualifying or, or you're still going to have that five-year look-back period. So don't, you know, when it says here four years or one year when, when Medicaid should have known, but that doesn't apply. It's the five-year look-back period. And also, if they're a beneficiary under the any circumstances test, that trust is going to be countable from a Medicaid qualification point of view. Uh, Medicaid is not a creditor, necessarily. It really is a enabler to access a program. So um, the self-settled aspects of that trust are not going to protect it from Medicaid. Yeah, I just wanted them to not get that confused in, in their head and think that I can do that. Um, for Medicaid purposes. That was, that was my point, but thank you. Yeah. Um, canting. New Hampshire authorizes the canting by statute. In Massachusetts, we got to rely upon case law. And one of the first, if not the first case in Massachusetts was uh, Morsi Kraft. And if um, those of you remember, uh, Kraft was the Kraft that owns the Patriots. So it was a pretty, um, pretty famous and, and public case. Um, the question is whether or not you need to decant, though, both in Massachusetts and New Hampshire. I mean, due to the, the powers that we have um, for modifying a trust with a trustee, due to non-judicial settlement agreements, um, you may be able to modify a trust and um, achieve what you would achieve through decanting without doing so. Something that's um, interesting in New Hampshire is uh, New Hampshire says by statute that, you, that when decanting, the beneficiaries of the second trust may include only one or more of the beneficiaries of the first trust, basically saying that you can eliminate a beneficiary through the process of decanting. And that's found under um, New Hampshire um, RSA section 564B4418. However, the Hodges case from 2017 said, wait a minute, you got to think about that first. Um, we're not going to allow you to just remove trustees um, due to the duty of impartiality. So in this case, what happened was there was a gentleman who owned um, some companies and he was married. It was his second marriage and there were children from um, both families. And so he set up a trust um, to protect the business and to have the business carry on. And he also said it was for the benefit of the beneficiaries. And the beneficiaries were his entire family, both his, his stepchildren, his children, and um, his wife. And so a number of things happened over the years where he decided he wanted to start eliminating 
beneficiaries. There were actually physical altercations between um, different individuals, and he decided that um, he didn't like um, the way that his his wife was leaning um, in terms of whose side she was taking. He wanted to divorce her, so he wanted to cut her out as well. And so what he did was he went to um, uh, the trustee, and the trustee was also a beneficiary, and said, I wanted to cant this trust and, and remove beneficiaries. And they spoke with the lawyer, and the lawyer said, well, you're a beneficiary and the trustee, so there's sort of a conflict in there. So I'm going to jump in and be the decanting trustee. I'll decant this into another trust and remove the beneficiary, and then you can jump back in again. And they did this twice, removing um, beneficiaries. And finally, the beneficiaries took them to court. And the beneficiary said, you can't do that. We have vested rights, and you can't just eliminate us. And the court said, um, agreed. The court said that in spite of the fact that it says you can do this in the trust, um, you have a duty of impartiality. And the duty of impartiality found at Section 564B8803 under New Hampshire law says, if a trust has two or more beneficiaries, the trustee can act impartially in administering, investing, managing, and distributing the trust property, um, giving due regard to the beneficiary's respective interests. And it's that due regard to the beneficiary's respective interests that they violated by cutting out these beneficiaries without telling them about it. And really without a reason to do so, aside from a family dispute. So um, the court declared that both decantings were void and the original provisions, um, the original provisions uh, of the trust um, were to go forward. And um, on a similar case, the same parties um, said, had a fight over um, the cost of litigation. The trustees said that the cost of litigation um, came out of the trust and that was proper because they were um, representing the most recent trust, the most recent beneficiaries and protecting the trust against this attack. And the court said that um, the, that the, um, that they can't do that because they are basically bad actors. They breached their duties, their fiduciary duties, and therefore they couldn't use trust assets to defend the trust and the court held them personally liable and, and ordered them to refund the trust for all assets they used in litigation. So um, this is a pretty good case to check out. And um, if you are thinking of canting, please, um, and you're gonna alter the beneficiaries, please take a look at this case to see if you can do that. Flexibility of investments. Um, like Massachusetts, New Hampshire allows for the expansion, restriction, elimination, or otherwise alteration of the prudent investment rule. Um, we see this more often when we see maybe there's a, a piece of property, maybe it's a beach property or something like that that's in a trust. Um, and the, we draft the trust to say, um, based upon the, the grantor's wishes, that we want that property to remain in the trust and we want the trust to continue to pay for it and protect it. And so that might be a loss for the trust. It may be more prudent to sell the property and invest the proceeds or to sell the property and purchase a similar property that isn't so run down and isn't so costly. Um, but you can draft in your trust that you want to ignore the prudent investment rule as it pertains to this particular piece of property. And that can be done in both Massachusetts and New Hampshire. Um, trustees power of modification. New Hampshire law allows by statute for the trustee to modify a trust to further the settler's intent or material purpose of the trust 
to preserve any favorable tax treatment for the trust, the settler, or the beneficiaries, to enhance the efficient administration of the trust, and to minimize the cost of administration. So again, before you decant, are there other options? Um, there are a list of things that can't be modified, um, and some of them are modification. Um, any modification must be consistent with the settler's intent, so you can't modify anything that's not. Um, the trustee cannot modify the settler's powers. Um, the trustee cannot add a beneficiary unless the terms of the trust allow the trustee to. The trustee cannot remove a vested beneficiary. Um, so, you know, would you decant, wouldn't you? Um, the trustee cannot modify um, dispositive terms of a charitable trust, so they can't just do that. Um, confidential communications. So um, New Hampshire law says communications between attorney and a client acting as trustee, trust advisor, or trust protector is privileged communication and protected from disclosure to the same extent as if the client was acting in his, her, or its individual capacity and was not acting as trustee, trust advisor, or trust protector. However, one should consider a successor trustee. So you, if you're the um, attorney for the trustee, are you automatically the attorney for the successor trustee? Um, and so the law says under um, 564B2205, under section C, um, a successor trustee, successor trust advisor, or successor trust protector is not the attorney's client solely by reason of succeeding the person with whom the attorney had an attorney-client relationship. A trustee, trust advisor, this is under D, or trust protector and his heir or its successors may agree to share privileged communication relating to some or all matters involving the trust. Um, so uh, the disclosure of privileged communication under the agreement does not waive the disclosing party's privilege unless the agreement provides otherwise. Privileged communications disclosed under the agreement shall not be disclosed to a third party without disclosing party's consent or court order. So basically you're gonna wanna have um, if you're going to represent a successor trustee, you're going to have the original want to have the original trustee um, waive uh, the privilege on certain communications, perhaps, or um, waive some of the other privileges that may exist. Now, if that person has passed away, you may want their heirs or their assigns or their personal representative of the estate, perhaps, to um, waive those privileges if possible. But it's definitely something that you want to consider the communications being privileged are good, but are you going to be able to continue to represent um, as the trustee, as the trustee's attorney or the, the trust attorney? And we don't have anything like that in Massachusetts. It really is sort of presumed that when you represent the trustee, you represent the role, not the person. Um, and so that's a big distinction between Massachusetts and New Hampshire. So should you establish a trust in New Hampshire or change the situs of the trust? What should you really be considered? Well, in order for it to be a New Hampshire trust, the trust needs to have its principal place of business in New Hampshire. Um, the trustee's principal place of business must be located in New Hampshire, or if the trustee is an individual, the trustee may, must be a resident of New Hampshire, or all or part of the administration must occur in New Hampshire. So you need to make that change potentially in your trustee or um, in the principal place of business or your trustee. So you need to consider 
the tax savings. Um, would it be, why are you switching to New Hampshire? Is it for the tax savings? Is this an accumulation trust or is this a trust where we're simply going to issue K-1s and we don't have any um, state um, or federal uh, uh, taxes on the income? Um, you want to consider how large the trust is when you're considering tax savings. Um, you want to consider, is this a short or a long-term trust? Uh, the cost of moving it to New Hampshire um, for a trust that's only supposed to last a couple of years worth it. Um, and what other additional expenses are there out there? And I think that um, Karen wanted to talk a little bit as well about migrating a trust to um, New Hampshire.